Hello, everybody, and welcome once again. This is Toby with BibleStudyPodcast.org, and today is Wednesday, May the 2nd. I hope you all are having a great week and that the Lord is blessing all of you richly with his presence, and I just hope that you are continuing to grow in your relationship with him. As you know, on Wednesdays, we always do apologetics or cultural issues, and it's always a little bit tough trying to pick a subject to do on on Wednesdays because there are just so many things, uh, there are just so many possible topics that we could cover that it's hard to narrow it down to one. And I want to thank all of you who have been sending in your questions and sending me emails encouraging me uh, with this ministry. And, you know, that's just such a blessing to me. Thank you again to all of you. I want you to know that what we're going to be doing is the second Wednesday of every month, we're going to do Q&A. So next week, actually, we're going to have another Q&A session. So if you have apologetics questions or a question related to your faith or or a question, you know, about Christian living or, you know, whatever, go ahead and send that on in. Go to BibleStudyPodcasts.org and click on the contact button at the top, and that will email me your question. So, you know, that's what we're going to be doing next Wednesday and every second Wednesday of the month. Today, though, our topic is going to be a Christian perspective on life in the womb. And this is a really touchy issue. But recently, you know, the Supreme Court, they upheld the ban on partial birth abortions just a couple weeks ago. And so I kind of wanted to cover this back then, but we were in the middle of some other stuff. So so I'm covering this today, and you know there are several aspects of this that I want to look at. First of all, we need to look at the biblical aspect of it. We're also going to look at the medical aspect of it, and we're going to look at the logical aspect of it. So hopefully we can make sense of all this and show which side is really right. Is pro-life right or is pro-choice right, and why? That's always a question that I ask, and it's a question that a lot of people are asking is why. Why should I believe anything? And that's just our culture today. That's our world today. So we'll take the world as it is. We'll go to people where they are and hopefully, you know, be able to provide an answer for them. Let's just go ahead and get started with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and we thank you for this podcast. We ask, Lord, that you would open our minds and open our hearts and open us to correction, Lord, Because, Lord, you are the standard of righteousness, and we recognize your holiness as revealed in Scripture. So, Lord, help us today to make sense of this issue. Help us today to understand where you stand on this issue. For your glory, Lord, in the name of Jesus, amen. Now, I do want to start off today by saying this is an issue that divides even Christians. There are plenty of Christians out there who are absolutely okay with abortion, and there are plenty of Christians out there who are absolutely against abortion. And that's why we have to figure out which side of the fence to go on based on evidence. And everything that we believe should be based on God's word, should be based on what he's revealed in it. And I just want to say, you know, this is not an issue of salvation, you know, that there are Christians out there who believe that abortion is okay, and they are secure in their salvation. I believe in the security of salvation. So somebody who supports abortion has not lost their salvation. I do not judge somebody who supports abortion. But can somebody have 
a Christian worldview and support abortion at the same time? That's the real question. And for that, we have to rely on God's word because a Christian worldview has to come from God's revelation. Where do we find God's revelation? In scripture. So let's start off by seeing how the Bible views life in the womb. For the first point that I want to make, let's turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 41. And what that says is, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the word baby in this verse is the Greek word brephos, which is used of infants and young children. And we find that it refers to children inside of the womb as well as outside of the womb. And then as we read further on in Luke, let's turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 12. And what this verse says is, This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby, a brephos, wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So the same word is used of the child in the womb and outside of the womb. Based on the use of the Greek word brephos, there is no difference between a child inside of the womb or outside of the womb. We also find this word being used in reference to believers. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Like newborn babies, brephos... Long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So we are using the same word for babies in the womb as we use for babies outside of the womb, and it's the same word we use for young believers as well. The Greeks didn't use a word like fetus to differentiate it from a baby. They were one in the same thing. It is a human being, according to this verse. But let's move on to the second point that I want to make, and that is that the unborn are created by God just as God created Adam and Eve in his image. So let's turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 139, verse 13, which says, For you, that is God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. This indicates to us that the child in the womb has been put together by God. It's been knit together by the hand of God. And yes, this might seem like just a natural process, but this verse is telling us that God plays a part in the formation of the child in the womb. And of course, God created Adam and Eve in his image. And we find that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So the first point is, children inside and outside of the womb are referred to as the same thing. The second point is that the unborn are created by God. The third point that I want to make is that the life of the unborn is protected biblically by the same punishment for injury or death to an adult. And we find this in Exodus chapter 1, verse 22, which says, if men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury, he shall surely be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him, and he shall pay as the judges decide. And let's contrast that with the punishment with an adult, and that's found in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, which says, Whosoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. And so what we find here is that potentially the judges of Israel had the right to shed the blood of the man who caused the miscarriage. And if you read commentaries, if you read the history of Israel, this was the typical punishment. If a man caused a woman to miscarriage, the sentence by the judges was typically death. 
The fourth point I want to make is that Christ, Jesus himself, was human from the point where he was conceived in Mary's womb. And to find this, we go to Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. And this is what it says there. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, that's that's Joseph, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her, that's the brephos, who has been conceived in her, is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So here we have Jesus, who was God incarnate, being referred to as a brephos, while he was still in the womb of Mary. And this brings us to our fifth point, and that is that the image of God includes both male and female. And that goes back to Genesis one twenty-seven, which we just read a minute ago. And how is this relevant to this discussion? Well, science has shown us that the gender, whether a baby is going to be male or female, is determined at the very moment of conception. As soon as the woman's egg is fertilized, it is possible to determine whether it's going to be a male or female. So the fact that the image of God includes male and female, and that is determined at the moment of conception, indicates that as soon as they are conceived, they are in God's image. The next point is that unborn children possess personal attributes. They have characteristics distinctive of people, such as sin. And an example of this is found in Psalm 51.5, where David is referring to his sin. And what this verse says is, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Well, it's impossible for a non-human to sin. So we find that even from the moment he was conceived, David had the sinful nature, which is part of the human nature. And we also find in Luke one forty four that John the Baptist had a feeling of joy while he was in his mother, once his mother came into the presence of Jesus, who was in the womb of Mary. So the sixth point is that unborn children have personal characteristics that we find in adults, that we find in children outside of the womb as well. And number seven is that personal pronouns are found in the Bible used to describe unborn children. For example, in Jeremiah 1.5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God's plan and purpose for Jeremiah were set before he was even in the womb. And while he was in the womb, Before you were born, I set you apart. He was set apart before he was born. Eight is that the unborn are said to be known intimately and personally by God in the same way that he would know any other person. And we find that back in Psalm 139. If you'll remember, we we just read that verse a few minutes ago. We find it there. We also find it back in Jeremiah 1.5, which is the verse we referred to in point seven. The unborn are known and loved by God And God has already set a purpose for them before they are even outside of the womb. And that leads us to our ninth point, which is that the unborn are even called by God before they're born. We find that in the verse that we just read. We find that in Judges chapter 13, verses 2 through 7. We find that in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 1 and verse 5. And we find it in Galatians 1, 15. And, you know, I'm not going to take the time to actually go through all these verses because there's a lot of support just for that particular point. But go ahead and just, you know, hit pause. Go back and, and read those verses for yourself. The unborn are called by God before they are even born. 
So once we consider all of these points and all of these proofs for human life in the womb, I don't think there's any shadow of doubt. There's no room for even an ounce of doubt that a baby in the womb is no less human biblically than a baby outside of the womb. And where does all life come from? All life comes from God, not from us. We don't have the right to kill. So here's the problem now. See, we've determined that the Bible has told us that an unborn person is a child, and therefore God considers the unborn a person, and therefore abortion is killing an innocent person. And we know from Exodus 20.13 that killing innocent persons violates the fifth commandment. So biblically, I think we have completely established that abortion is never an option because that is the murder of an innocent person. That is shedding innocent blood. So very quickly here, let's discuss the medical perspective of this. Medically, is there any reason to think that a child in the womb is human, is fully human? And here's what we find, is that on April 23rd, 1981, there was a congressional hearing in which scientific experts testified about life in the womb. And here's an example of what they said. One doctor said, in biology and in medicine, it is an accepted fact that the life of any individual organism reproducing by sexual reproduction begins at conception or fertilization. So what this doctor just said is that as soon as the egg is fertilized, as soon as the egg is fertilized, the life of that child has begun. Not only that, but this doctor, Dr. Matthew Roth's testimony, was supported from more than 20 other scientific texts. No one who was at this hearing, even those who were pro-abortion, pro-choice, nobody there gave any evidence whatsoever that human life begins at some point after conception. It is a medically accepted fact that life begins at conception. Dr. Jaime Gordon, who was also there, said, Now we can say unequivocally that the question of when life begins is no longer a question for theological or philosophical debate. It is an established scientific fact. So medically, we can see that the child in the womb is fully human. Medically, life begins at the moment of conception. And again, whose right is it to take life? It's not our right to take an innocent life. Only God has the right to take an innocent life. And finally, I think we have to consider the logical perspective of this as well. And for this, I'm going to use an example from Dr. Peter Kreeft, who is a great apologist. He's very well established, and he came up with a pro-life argument. Basically, the gist of it is, is that either a fetus is a human life or not. Those are the only two options. Either a child in the womb is a human life or it is not. And... Either we know that it is a human life, or we don't know that it is a human life. So logically, tying both of these two options together, there are only four outcomes that are logically possible. The first is that it's not a human life, and we know it. In which case, abortion is permissible. But we have already shown that there is medical and biblical reason to know that it is a human life. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about this. It is a human life. So this option is automatically just wiped off the board. It's eliminated. The second option is that it is not a human life and we don't know it. 
And therefore, you know, in this, in this circumstance, abortion would be permissible. It's not a human life, and we don't know it. Abortion is morally permissible. But again, we've already shown that this is a human life that we're talking about. So the second option is eliminated as well. The third option is that it's a human life and we don't know it, in which case we are guilty of either criminal negligence at the best or manslaughter. And the fourth option is that it's a human life and we know it, in which case abortion is first-degree murder and should be punishable by law. Why is abortion so widely accepted in this country? It's because the Supreme Court determined that the unborn child has no rights. Yes, our Supreme Court, the same Supreme Court that ruled that people of a minority should not have the same rights as white people. I think I can speak for us all when I say that that was an unacceptable decision by the Supreme Court to decide that minorities don't deserve the same rights as the white man. That is morally reprehensible. Well, this same court is the one that determined that the unborn child has no rights. And I want to give you a very scary comparison. Consider this, that in 1936, the Supreme Court of Germany refused to recognize Jews living in Germany as quote-unquote persons in the legal sense. And in 1973, in Roe v. Wade, the U.S. Supreme Court determined that the word person as used in the 14th Amendment, does not include the unborn. In Nazi Germany, the Hadamar euthanasia hospital patients who were killed with lethal injections were told that they were going there for treatment of their lung disease. And in 1976, Dr. Willard Cates called abortion the, the quote-unquote preferred treatment for unwanted pregnancy, quote, the number two sexually transmitted disease. In 1942, Christian Wirth said on the problem of disposing of the bodies at a concentration camp, he said, what should we do with this garbage? He's quoted as saying that. And in 1980, a fetal researcher was quoted as saying, an aborted baby is just garbage. Hitler himself, in his book Mein Kampf, which is his memoirs, he referred to Jews as, quote, a parasite in the body of other peoples. And in 1973, a feminist group said that the unborn were, quote, a parasite within the mother's body. In 1942, one of the German concentration camps for Jews reported that their subjects were forced to undergo death-dealing experiments, quote, without receiving anesthetics. And in 1980, a fetal researcher said, the fetuses are fully alive when we cut their heads off, but anesthetics are definitely unnecessary. Do you see the comparison? Do you see how like Nazi Germany we are in that we tolerate abortion? We allow the killing of unborn children? One of the arguments that you come across is that the rights of the mother should supersede the rights of the child. Well, what is the child's right? We're talking about the child's right to live. What are the rights of the mother that we're talking about? The rights of the mother to be comfortable. So the, you're telling me that the right of the mother to be comfortable is more important than somebody else's right to live? And I also want to make one final point here, and that is that if you were to take any argument in favor of abortion, let's say... You don't want the child to be born into poverty. You can't afford to have the child. Or the child is deformed in the womb. You can take any one of these arguments. Well, forget that it's a baby in the womb for just a second. And let's take these arguments and see how valid they are. Because you could apply them to the baby outside of the womb as well. 
Would it be legal to get rid of a baby outside of the womb just because you don't want it to be born into poverty or just because you don't want it to live a life of poverty? Or can you kill a two or three year old child just because they're deformed? Or can you kill a two or three year old child just because it's not convenient for you? Of course you can't. So why should you be able to do it inside the womb? So friends, in conclusion, you know, the Christian worldview absolutely cannot cannot support the pro-choice movement. Are we allowed to do what we want with our bodies? Of course we're not. I can't go out and sniff a line of cocaine just because that's what I want to do to my body. That's why we have laws designed to prevent that type of thing, because we're not allowed to do whatever we want with our bodies. And from a Christian worldview, we are not our own. We belong to God. Every life is important to God from a Christian worldview. So let's just end this in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that you care so much for us and that you have reached down to us and made us your own. We thank you, Lord, that you have created us with such precision and that you have designed us in your image, Lord. Thank you so much that you love us the way that you do. Lord, we ask that you would help us to become more like you. And Lord, we lift up anybody who is listening to this, who is in favor of abortion. And Lord, I just ask right now in the name of Jesus that your truth would penetrate their heart, Lord, that you would show them your righteousness and your ways for your glory, Lord. We love you and we thank you so much for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. I will be back on Monday as we continue our study in Romans. I hope you have a great weekend. Don't forget to listen to Justin on Friday. Thank you for listening today. God bless you. Time after time